Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Today we conclude Mike's message on Luke. We can be assured then that our loving Heavenly Father will respond to our petitions for our needs. It's comparing God and His desire to respond to this cranky friend who eventually will if you keep begging Him. It's showing us the loving nature of God. And so we come to truth point number three. that says that persistence in prayer is not about manipulating God to give us what we want but rather is a sign of our confidence that God hears us and will answer us. If we're confident that God hears us and will answer us, we will, if, if, if the request is important, we'll come back and we'll come back and we'll offer it again. And we'll offer it again because we have confidence to know that He hears us and will answer. And when we come to verses 9 and 10, that is a promise that Jesus makes. Jesus makes the promise that your loving Heavenly Father does hear your prayers and will answer them. Take note. Those words that you see there in verses 9 and 10, ask, seek, knock, are presented in such a way that they can only be interpreted as a promise. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. It's a promise. God hears, and God will respond. Now, there is an important interpretive clue here that would be missed if we go no further than the English language. So when we go back to the Greek or the Aramaic, and we look at this, these words, we find this, that the word ask, seek, and knock are presented in what is known as the present tense imperative, which simply means that these words communicate continuous action. Continuous action. When Jesus said ask, and it will be given to you, it was ask and keep on asking. When he said, seek and you will find, it was seek and keep on seeking. And when he said, knock and the door will be open to you, what they understood him to be saying was, knock and keep on knocking. Truth point number four, I hope, will bring some clarity here. The promise of receiving, finding, and the door opening is given to those who bring their request with confident boldness until God brings his response. He may not respond at the first mention of it, but if it's something that is important to us, something that we believe that God needs to be involved in with us, it is something that is worthy of continual offering to him. Now understand that there is no promise given to those who choose not to pray. Those who just try to handle it on their own. And there is no promise given to those who pray with unholy ulterior motives. James chapter 4 tells us about that. James writes, you do not have because you do not ask. He goes on to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So sometimes we don't ask because we're just not in the mood to talk to God about it. Sometimes we come with things that are really just, we're just looking for what we want and we're not too terribly concerned about what he wants. But the truth point is 
that when we persist in prayer, it's not about manipulating God, but showing our own confidence that God hears us and will answer. Somebody would say, well, Pastor Mike, as you talk about this um, persistence in prayer, are you saying that if I beg God long enough and hard enough that I'll get what I want? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Because this teaching is not about begging. It's about a confident faith. A confident faith does not give up until a response is received. Now, let me tell you about the three responses that come from God. And these are three responses that always come from God. When we offer our prayers, he's either going to answer yes, or he's going to answer no, or he's going to answer not now. Yes, no, not now. That's the answers we're going to get. But when we pray... We need to keep in mind that we're not praying to get our own way. But instead we're praying to understand what the will of God is and to receive his enablement to walk therein. Before I came to First Federated Church and now the Mission Church back in 06, I pastored the Albany Baptist Church in Ohio. And in that congregation there was a lady, very dear lady, whose husband was not a Christ follower. And that lady prayed for her husband for years. I can remember uh, hearing her tell me about it and then even experiencing it that when evangelists would come to the church to hold uh, meetings, eventually those evangelists would wind up out at her house because she always wanted them to come and talk to her husband. Maybe this would be the one who could explain the gospel in such a way that he would open his heart and become a Christian. But no matter who went out and talked to him, he never opened his heart. And this lady prayed for her husband for 30 years. For 30 years. She brought this prayer over and over and over to God, asking her, asking God to save her husband. And the reason she kept doing it is because she had not yet received a yes. <laughs> but she had not received a no. So she assumed that that meant, well, not yet. So she just kept bringing it back. And I was there at the church when this man came to Christ. And I remember it was a celebration because this man had been prayed for by people in the church, by his spouse, by his kids, by his friends. And when I left the church there in 06, this man was now actively serving in the worship band and also had become a deacon in the church. Persistence bringing the request over and over and asking God. If he says no, we stop. If he says yes, we receive what we've asked for. If he says not now, okay, fine, Lord, I'll keep coming until you tell me to stop. Just real quick, I have another quick story. There in Albany, there was a young man, uh, literally, uh, he was like 18, and he got some kind of bacteria or something, and it went to his brain. And in just a matter of a few weeks, he was there at the university hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and he was fighting for his life. And he was on life support. And the prognosis was very grim. And I don't, I, I don't know. I just know that one day I was out cutting my grass. And I had about three acres there, and I'm riding around on a tractor. And I just got this impression 
that I took, that this was from the Lord. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, I want you to go to the church this Sunday. And I want you to tell the people that we're going to pray for this young man every single Sunday. We're going to start every service praying and asking God to deliver this young man from his affliction. And I want you to keep praying until something happens. And so I did. I did. I felt very uncomfortable with that because that just wasn't kind of the lane that I drive in very often. But I told the congregation, this is what we're going to do. And we prayed for a week and two weeks and three weeks and one month and two months and three months. And I can tell you there were several Sundays where I didn't even want to do that anymore because it was like, oh, you know, this is just... But we kept asking. God never said, I'll heal him. Never said that. He just said, pray. After six months, that young man came out of the hospital and he walked into that worship center. You want to talk about a group of people that just had a shouting time? It was awesome. But we persevered. He didn't get healed because of us. God already knew what he was going to do. But through that persistent praying, God built our faith and showed us his glory. Well, in verses 11 through 12, we find a principle. A principle that serves as the foundation for why the promise that we just looked at is true. And this principle all revolves around a loving father's heart. In short, it goes like this. That in a relationship between a father and a child, it is expected that the child who cannot provide for themselves will ask the father for what they need. In the same vein, it is expected that a father who uh, would never give their child something that would harm them, but only that which would help them. And so Jesus, in this principle, argues, uh, uses a Jewish form of reasoning where he argues from the lesser to the greater to make this point. Take note of it. Truth point number five. That if a friend, because of your persistent boldness, will give, get out of bed at midnight and give you what you need, how much more would a loving father willingly provide for your needs? And when sharing that principle with them, the response would have been automatic. Of course, a loving father would give us what we need. And he would be much more motivated to do that than an inconvenienced neighbor. And so we come to verse 13, where Jesus said then, he brings the conclusion, if you then, who are evil, meaning bound to sin, fallen, If you then who are fallen know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The point is loud and clear. If you, if us in our fallen, sinful state know how to give good things to our children, we need to be assured that the Heavenly Father knows how to do that even more. And this when we think about it, should motivate us. Those of us who know the Heavenly Father, it should motivate us to boldly and persistently bring our prayers before Him, knowing that He hears them and that He will respond according to His goodwill. Well, to bring a wrap up here, I ask this question. How did the Holy Spirit get into this conversation? That's not how He concluded it in Matthew 6, but it is how He concludes it in Luke chapter 11. How did the Holy Spirit wind up at the end of this teaching on prayer? And I don't have a good answer to give you. I don't know how he ends up there. 
Maybe the discussion about God's Spirit was running in the background, and so Jesus includes it. Maybe this is the first time that he's introducing the idea of the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit because we know he gives them teaching about that before he even goes to the cross. I cannot say for sure why the Holy Spirit ends up there, but what I can say, based on the revelation of Scripture that we have today, is that the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead who takes up residence in our body and lives within us and enables us and empowers us. He is the one who reveals our sin to us. He is the one who reveals Jesus as Savior to us. He is the one who draws us to Him and gives faith to believe. He is the one who secures us in Christ till we enter into God's presence. He is the one who empowers our spiritual growth and acts of service. He is the one who opens the Scripture to our understanding. He is the one who brings comfort when life's overwhelming waves crash against us. He even prays for us according to the Scripture when we don't know how to pray for ourselves. What I say to you this morning is that the Holy Spirit is the greatest and best gift that the Father gives. And the good news about that is this. You don't have to beg God for Him. You don't have to beg God for Him. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in us the moment that we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How much more will He give the Holy Spirit to those This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission. On Mission.